Well, welcome to the Cut for Time podcast here at the Canton United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Clay, and it's just so good to have you with me here for this episode of the podcast. Uh, as you might notice, it's just me today. Uh, Eric had some harvest things to finish up this week, and so uh, it's just me one more time. And we will be back to our normal recording schedule uh, next week uh, now that harvest has been completed for the Stearns Farm. So thanks be to God for a successful harvest for all those that are in that process, and uh, just uh, thanks for your patience as we continue to work on recording these podcasts for you. Um, last week, you might have noticed that we didn't have an episode, and that was a lot of things. Um, first of all, again, Eric and the Stearns family was harvesting, and so that takes a lot of time. Uh, um, and then I was home with sick kids on Wednesday, and then I was sick myself. Um, our entire household um, got hit with a stomach bug, and so it just did not work out for us to record an episode this week. But I'm back now, and, and like I said, next week, Eric and I will be back uh, together to record the Cut for Time podcast. But I do want to just kind of dig into a couple of things. A couple weeks ago, we preached a sermon here at the church um, based on the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, a parable that Jesus tells to a crowd of those who are sure of their own goodness. And that's a story for us because sometimes we're pretty sure of our own goodness. But uh, um it is one of my very favorite stories uh, that Jesus tells. It's one of my very favorite parables um, because of the response of the tax collector, because the tax collector is just so taken um, by the presence of God. Um, you know, in the story, the Pharisee stands upright and stands probably in a prominent spot in the in the temple and uh, prays this prayer where he extols his own virtues and, oh, he's so great, and he does all these things, even things that are beyond the requirement of the law, which is part of being a Pharisee. And the tax collector can't even bring ourselves, bring himself to words. How often is that how we approach God? How often are we the ones who that are in the position of the tax collector, in the position of the publican, um, that cannot just muster words, or we, but we are just so aware and so maybe even overwhelmed um, by the presence of God. Um, I know that that's happened for me in worship uh, in a couple of different places and spaces uh, where it's just, just the sheer magnitude of God's presence is, you know, just so present. Um, I mentioned, I mentioned, maybe mentioned this before on the podcast, but one my the night of my ordination was one of those moments where it was just so clear that the presence of God was in that place. Another time was when I was a freshman in college up in Aberdeen, um, serving on a worship sanctuary on a sanctuary worship team uh, that sang in harmonies, and we had of this instrumentation and just. It was a very odd mix of musicians, but yet it was a glorious noise to the Lord. Um, and there was just one day in worship where it all just hit me and, you know, I could barely even hold it together. Um, the emotion was so, so surreal. And the night of my ordination was another one of those times where just the presence of God was so palpable. Um, you know, from the moment that I knelt before the bishop, I was just weeping. Um, and then there was a dear friend of mine present uh, that had traveled some distance to be there and um, and stand with me for, for during my ordination and you know I was able to give him a big hug and um, yeah they just we are so 
I don't know. It's it's just interesting sometimes how God's presence finds us and in these really, really random locations sometimes. Um, I know that at this past annual conference up in Bismarck, um, when we have annual conference in Bismarck, we're in the civic arena. It's a pretty big space and, you know, there's scoreboards and other things and it doesn't necessarily scream sanctuary or worship or, um, you know, that kind of a space. But yet on the night of the ordination service in Bismarck, I know that there were several uh, pretty emotional moments because the presence of God was just so palpable. Um, we take on that position of the tax collector. Um, and it's just such a, a beautiful thing when that happens. Um, yeah. Uh, one of the things that I said during that sermon that I kind of wanted to explore a little bit more um, was one of the comments I, uh, I made about Jesus and the Pharisees. You know, Jesus sets the Pharisees up as, or Jesus sets this Pharisee up as a foil um, in the story where we are supposed to see his example and then be reminded, oh, wait, we're not going to be like that guy. Which is interesting because when it comes to what the Pharisees believed and how they functioned, Jesus was more similar to the Pharisees than he was to other groups in Judaism. Uh, the Jewish faith, much like the Christian faith, has different sects, um, sects, S-E-C-T-S, sects. Um, and the, the, the main ones that were active in Jesus' day uh, were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and then the Zealots. Um, actually, one of the disciples uh, was a Zealot. I just want to spend a couple of minutes exploring what those groups are and what their differences are, and then why it is that Jesus agrees with the Pharisees more than the other groups. And so the Pharisees have their origin in the Maccabean revolt, uh, this period of Israel's history where the people revolted against their um, oppressors um, and really kind of were independent for a while. Uh, in Israel's history, there is the Babylonian exile um, where they were uh, defeated, um, where Jerusalem fell and they were, and Israel was defeated and taken away from the land and into Babylon. And then Babylon was captured by Persians. And then the Persians allowed the Israelites to go back to Israel, but yet they were still under rule. Um, and then the Seleucids came in over the Persians and then the Romans came over all of them. Um, and just as a way of Ensuring that this never happened again, the Pharisees came into existence. Um, uh, they were hyper-focused on God's law, um, on the entirety of the Old Testament. Uh, they believed that, stu that uh, stu the study of Scripture was one of the highest forms of worship. Um, they believed that God's desire was for God's people to keep the law. Um, and they believed in a bodily resurrection, which is where they have their link to Jesus. That Jesus also, you know, having been bodily resurrected and having bodily resurrected several other people, obviously believed in a resurrection. And so this is where they have their, um, have their link. Um, uh, but there were some different other sects as well. There were the Sadducees and the Essenes and the Zealots. Uh, and the Sadducees believed that only the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, of our Old Testament, uh, were considered authoritative. They rejected the, the uh, further interpretation of the Old Testament. Uh, they thought that worship in the temple was the highest form of worship. Uh, and they did not believe in a resurrection. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees, even though they are painted as having Jesus as their common enemy, they didn't necessarily agree on a lot of things either um, and had their own kind of sort of c conflicts. 
And then there are the Essenes, which is also um, could possibly be uh, the Qumran community from which we get the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, but they also arose after the Maccabean Revolt, um, and they were probably disillusioned Sadducees and Pharisees um, that is that uh, that took on some sort of asceticism, uh, tried to live a separate life. Um, and they had a rigid adherence to the Torah. Um, they also um, they also believed that they had been chosen to prepare chosen by God to prepare the world for God's coming reign. Um, yeah. And then there, then the the other sect of Judaism are the Zealots. One of the disciples, Simon, actually was part of this Zealot group, which would be interesting because uh, there are times where Jesus taught that we needed to pay taxes, and the Zealots were vehemently opposed to any um, to anything um, having to do with with Rome. Uh, so when Jesus said, "Render under Caesar to what Caesar's," um, I think Simon the Zealot would have really struggled with Jesus saying that, but. Um, the Zealots also arose um, just kind of out of protest of Roman authority, uh, and their entire thing was that Rome is the wrong answer. Their entire thing is that, um, you know, they just they, they just hated the Romans, that the only tax that was applicable to them was the tax in the temple. They refused to pay their taxes to Rome, um, and their theology was really similar to that of the Pharisees, um, but focused a lot on the rule of God. Um, and so there's a lot of diversity even in in you know in early Judaism uh, in the same way that we see differences in diversity in modern day Christianity and so it's really interesting um, that even though Jesus paints this Pharisee as the problem um, he would really have had a lot to do with the Pharisees um, in that time and that's why that story would have probably just been a little bit more biting um, uh, for Jesus original hearers for those that heard it I mean Luke adds editorial comment about it being for those that were sure of their own goodness. Um, but even when Jesus told that story, being around who he was around, that story would have hit. Um, that story would have really stepped on people's toes and got them to thinking, especially because it's the tax collector at the end of the day that ends up being the one who is seen as right with God. Um, you know, but I think that there's a danger there. Uh, there's a danger in this story of looking at the Pharisee, you know, he prays, thank God and that I'm not like this tax collector. Um, if we are to then pray, thank God we're not like the Pharisee, we've missed the point of the story. You know what I'm saying? Like, if we look at the Pharisee as the ultimate non-example and then become like the Pharisee in our dismissal of the Pharisee, I think that that becomes problematic. Um, you know, I, I think that we have to be careful um, not to give thanks that we're not like the Pharisee. That's why I pointed out on Sunday um, that the, like the Pharisee, we owe it to God to give our best and our truest devotion to God and for God to have our undivided loyalty. And I also pointed out on that on that Sunday during that sermon that neither of them were far from the kingdom of God, which is a quote from Jesus in Mark 12. Um, um, Jesus does not condemn the Pharisee. Um, Jesus does not look at the good things that the Pharisee is doing and then just call them not good enough. Um, I think that had the Pharisee been doing the right things for the right reasons rather than doing the right things for the wrong reasons, um, they too, the Pharisee too, would have been found to be in the right with God. But 
Um, and then I also pointed out at the end of the message that day that we can't stand before God our, on our own merits. Um, you know, it's really easy to do. Uh, we are upper Midwesterners after all, and we feel like we have everything on our backs and it's completely up to us. And I think that this story teaches us and reminds us that it's not entirely up to us, that God has made a lot of decisions um, about how that works, um, you know, and that that even if we were to stand on our own merits and even if our own merits looked really good, which, like I said on that Sunday, a lot of our merits look really good, uh, there is always something lacking um, if we were to simply look to our own merits rather than looking to the merits of God. Um, so we cannot be so sure of our own goodness, but we can absolutely be certain of God's goodness. And that's good news. Yeah. So then next, or then, uh, so then last Sunday, um, I spent the Sunday up in Brookings at Brookings First United Methodist Church um, as a part of um, their uh, worship. It was their family day in the Community Life Center. So we had worship over in the CLC. Um, and it's a really kind of interesting thing of how that happened. I had the honor of serving as their student associate pastor in 2012 to 2013, and then from 2013 to 2015, uh, moved to Brookings and then lived there and served as the associate pastor uh, alongside senior pastor Rich Zeck, um, which was a very fun time of life. But uh, uh, it was a good place uh, for me to be in ministry, a good place for our family. Um, and then just uh, back in August, the phone rang and it happened to be Pastor Pete Grassow, who is now the senior pastor at Brookings First, and he said, hey, um, I want to invite you back, which is, you know, not an unheard of thing in the United, in the United Methodist Church. You know, right now we uh, in Canton, we have Pastor Steve Zebarth, my immediate predecessor, for here is still a part of the church. I've had him preach on a couple of different occasions, and so that does occasionally happen. Um, but Pete had invited me back to come up and preach, and so um, I said yes, and so spent some time up there with them in worship. Um, and Pete asked me to preach on uh, the ten lepers, um, preach on that text as a way of talking about gratitude and starting their uh, gratitude campaign that's going to last them uh, clear kind of officially through Thanksgiving, but unofficially through to the end of the year. But uh, um, enjoyed being up there. I mean, the sermon itself, um, I asked, or I, you know, I talked about backtracking when traveling, and that comes directly from my father. Uh, my dad is not a big backtracker, and um, that's one of the things from him that I have inherited. Um, I am also not a big backtracker, um, but one time, and one of the things I said on Sunday was to ask me after church about a story of driving home from Pierre uh, back to Gregory, and that happened when I was in college. Um, I was uh, awarded a scholarship from an organization called Eastern Star. Uh, they had their state convention in Pierre, and I was asked to come and speak as, as, a, as a recipient of the scholarship, and so I did. Um, but on the way back, having, having driven I-90 on the way there, I didn't want to backtrack, and so I drove south um, of the interstate exit. I didn't even get on the interstate. I just drove south, and eventually the road stopped, and this was in like the infancy of GPS, um, and so I didn't quite know exactly what I, where I was going or what I was doing, um, and so I drove until I ran out of road altogether, um, and I do distinctly remember the GPS saying, please drive on a road. Um, so 
that happened. Backtracking uh, when traveling can get you into, or not, or not wanting to backtrack when traveling can get you into trouble. And that was one of the times that I was in trouble. So I had to turn back around and drive back the way I had come and then drive in on the interstate and drive home. So it was altogether not a very fun experience. Um, uh, being lost like that. Um, but, uh, I was able to, uh, share that with the congregation up in Brookings. But, uh, and just for anyone that was curious about how I got home from Brookings, I took the interstate up and, uh, because of what we did after worship, I took the interstate home as well. Uh, we had gone to lunch with some friends and then visited Lindsay's grandparents for a little bit as well. And so I needed to get back to teach confirmation. And so I was, uh, uh, set on taking the interstate just because it's faster. Um, and so uh, I did end up backtracking that day and it, everything went fine. Um, so uh, one of the things I pointed out in the sermon that I wanted to revisit uh, is something that Kent Millard said in his book, The Gratitude Path, where he says that everything we are and have is a gift to us from the hand of a generous God. And in recognition of this truth, our own gratitude path should look like that of the 10th leper. Our gratitude path should lead us back. Um, it should always lead us back to Jesus um, because without Jesus, we would not have, you know, any of the things that we do have. And it's the idea of standing on our own merits. Um, uh, our merits can look good, but compared to Jesus, they're nothing. And like without Jesus in our lives, I mean, that's, that's the hope of why we do what we do. Um, you know, God blesses us so richly um, beyond what we deserve, you know, to the point of eternal life that we did nothing for, but Jesus did everything for. And so well, we should always return our thanks um, to Jesus, our Christ. And so in this season where we're looking towards Thanksgiving, uh, I just, you know, I think that there's space for us to express that uh, with one another, to express our Thanksgiving and to really tell what we're thankful for. And just, you know, after being sick all week and having my household be sick all week, um, I am certainly thankful for good health. Um, you know, today uh, everyone's back online and doing what they're supposed to be doing, Auden's in school, and Lindsay's teaching, and Simon and Emmeline are at daycare, and I'm here, and uh, it's just, it's it's good um, to have that health restored to you, even if it is just a stomach bug, and so that's something that I'm thankful for today. So next Sunday, uh, we are starting a new message series here at the Canton United Methodist Church. Um, we are going to be focusing on uh, being in step with God, being aligned with God in all things. Um, alignment with God should be our goal for all things, and that should include our stewardship. So we're going to be talking about stewardship for the next couple of weeks. But before we get all you know weird about it, I think that it's important for us to remember that stewardship is part of our financial story, but it's more than our finances. And so it's not just going to be me standing in the pulpit for three weeks saying, hey, buddy, have you got a dime? Uh, it's going to be us talking about what it means to align our lives, our entire lives with God. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes and says, be imitators of, of him as he is an imitator of Christ. And so if we're going to be imitating the apostle Paul, we're going to be imitating Christ. And really, so that's the most important part of that is for us to be imitators of Jesus Christ, to, to really align our lives with Jesus' vision uh, for what our lives should be. So that's going to be what we focus on over the next couple of weeks. Um, we're going to be using the story on Sunday of the widow's might um, from the Gospels. Uh, Jesus is in the temple observing, watching people give their offering, and those that um, have more uh, financial wealth are just tossing their offerings into the box. And Scripture points out that the widow placed her 
offering in the box. There's a bit more of an intentionality there when it comes to the widow's might. She did not have much, but out of what she did have, she gave generously. Um, you know, when I was in seminary, uh, doing the, learning about this story and learning about, you know, some of the history and context of the Bible, uh, Dr. Carpenter gave us our entire class, uh, gave us widow's mites. And I had mine for a long time, but they're so small that I lost mine in one of the moves. But, uh, even though that gift was very small, um, and also like not just in stature, but in value, um, it's amazing to think about what God can do through our gifts. Um, you know, what God did through the, through the gift of the widow's might and what God can do through our gifts as well. Um, that we have the opportunity to ask the question, what can God do with this? What can God, how can God use this, whatever that this is, it can be ourselves, it can be our lives, it can be our talents, it can be our passions, it can be our financial resources. How can God use it? And then also our, the other question that we get to ask is how does my path align with God's right now? Um, and sometimes that's a hard question to answer because our path can look a myriad of different ways, um, but it's important for us to constantly be reminding ourselves to follow the path that God has for us. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to discover what it means to step into trusting God with the resources that we do have, to step out and live the faith that God has instilled in us, and then to step up and support the things we're passionate about in the life of our church, um, using our time and our talent um, and our treasure. So that catches us up on a lot of stuff. And uh, just again, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Cut for Time podcast. Uh, be sure to join us in person or online for worship on Sunday at 10 o'clock. It's All Saints Sunday. We're going to be celebrating uh, the lives of those that have been impactful um, in our lives of faith. Um, and then also uh, it's Charge Conference Sunday. And so Rebecca Trebs, our district superintendent, will be with us um, uh, to do our annual conference after worship. Um, but uh, it's just going to be good. And then join. be sure to join Eric and I back here on the podcast next week. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to our Cut for Time conversation. Join us for worship in person or on Facebook Live Sundays at 10 o'clock Central Time. And now go in peace and serve the Lord.